Hey, what's up, everybody? This is The Greatest Show on Dirt. Today is Sunday. We are, man, I'm so pumped, two days away from the World Series right now. The World Series matchup that we've been given is the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Boston Red Sox. And besides my own Chicago Cubs team being in it, this, in my opinion, is the best World Series matchup that we could have been handed. Um, I mean, you've got great pitching on both sides, great hitting on both sides, two completely different storylines. You have a Boston Red Sox team that won 108 games. You have a Los Angeles Dodgers team that at one point during this season was 10 games under 500, and they made it to the World Series. That occurrence in itself has only happened six times in Major League Baseball history where a team has been 10 games under 500 and somehow managed to get to the World Series. And, you know, during the regular season, I did, before the postseason started, I did one of my all-time fav- famous predictions in which I was wrong on every account. And I wasn't even sure that the Dodgers were going to make the postseason, you know, when we were in September, just because they didn't really, it didn't look like that they were able to string starts together. I know Clayton Kershaw had missed some starts. Justin Turner had missed some time. Yasiel Puig wasn't really the Puig that you want him to be. So there were a lot of questions, you know, with this Los Angeles Dodgers team, but they figured things out real quick. They've up to this point had a phenomenal postseason dominant. They took a very good Brewers team to seven games and it's important not to look at the Red Sox and how they demolished the Houston Astros in five games and then look at the Dodgers and say, well, it took them to seven to get past Milwaukee. Milwaukee was loaded. Milwaukee has probably the best bullpen in all of baseball and had some starters that did pretty damn good. So I don't I don't look at the Dodgers and say, oh, it took them seven games to beat Milwaukee because Milwaukee was a really good baseball team. But I'm going to tell you why that I think this is the best World Series matchup that we could have envisioned. Okay, so number one, the pitching storylines. I mean, in my opinion, the best we've got the best pitchers in the World Series right now. And, you know, obvi- you've got your obvious with like Clayton Kershaw, Chris Sale, and David Price. And David Price recently won his first ever playoff game, which just so happened to be game five to clinch the World Series, which is huge. And that's one of the things I'm all eyes on when it comes up to the World Series is what is David Price going to do? You know, so he had two starts in the ALCS. He started game two. He didn't get the win, but his team got the win, which is the first time that had ever happened. And then his second start in the ALCS in Game 5, he got the win by going six innings, striking out nine guys, but most importantly, walking zero. No free passes. You could tell immediately with David Price in that first inning of Game 5 that he was in control. He was painting the corners. He was painting those pretty little Bob Ross trees just right on the corners. 94 just putting it right where he needed to be. And location is key because David Price obviously being a lefty and the Los Angeles Dodgers don't hit lefties as good as a lot of teams do. They hit their OPS against lefties is about 70 points lower than what it is against righties. So the Dodgers are going to have their hands full with David Price, which to, the, the number one question is this. The, David Price has not been worth his $217 million up until now. But in my eyes, I look at David Price like I looked at Jason Hayward on the Cubs. The Red Sox are in a World Series right now, and if they win the World Series, all $217 million is worth it. But also, like, David Price, I think he's found himself in the postseason. He 
He pitched his his mound presence in game five was phenomenal. The way he was locating his pitches, his confidence, he was not shook whatsoever at all. And his team gave him the lead, which is huge. And I think that's going to be key with this Red Sox team as opposed to last year's Red Sox team where they didn't have as much firepower as they do this year because this Boston Red Sox team can put up runs. And, you know, it's, it's going to be huge for them, especially protecting their starters with guys like Sale and Price, who we know can be dominant. But if you give those guys leads, it's even crazier. But the pitching storylines with Price, Sale, and Kershaw, those storylines are there, but there are other pitching storylines that are under the radar, right? So Walker Bueller. Walker Bueller is my favorite pitcher in this current postseason, and it's because his mound presence is very Mark Burley-esque. And in my opinion, Mark Burley is one of the best pitchers of all time. I I believe Mark Burley is a Hall of Famer. How many seasons in a row he threw over 200 innings? The guy was a workhorse. He worked quick, had phenomenal mound presence, and he dominated, and he was never shook on the mound. And that's what Walker Bueller is. You know, he he had a – he – when the Boston – shit – I quit, man. Podcasts are hard. When the Los Angeles Dodgers had to play game 163, he pitched excellent against the Colorado Rockies. And that was an in-division matchup, right? A team he had seen a little bit. But then he didn't pitch so good against the Atlanta Braves and then didn't pitch that great against the Milwaukee Brewers. But with the game clincher, Walker Buehler did his job, right? Walker Buehler... um, I, let me, you know, I have to tell you what actually Walker Bueller pitched in the clinching game. I don't know how well he pitched, but I love Bueller's mound presence. He's he's got this unwavering confidence about him to the point where I think you can pitch Walker Bueller. Things might not so go so good. Walker Bueller in the game clincher, where the Dodgers went to the World Series and beat Milwaukee in Game Seven, he went four and two thirds, six hits, one run. He didn't walk anybody, which is huge to me. You've got a young pitcher who's on a huge stage, and he's not walking people. And that, to me, means a ton. And at that same time, he was striking out seven guys. Now, to fast forward in the first game he pitched against the Milwaukee Brewers, I believe he went seven innings and gave up four earned runs. And those four earned runs that Walker Buehler gave up, if you give me two seconds here. Okay. So game three, Walker Bueller pitched against the Milwaukee Brewers, and he gave up four runs that game, but still managed to go seven innings, right? And Dave Roberts had the confidence to leave Walker Bueller in when things weren't going that great. And even with the start, the most impressive start with Walker Bueller that I've seen with him during the postseason was the game that he lost against the Atlanta Braves when he proceeded to give up five earned runs, including a Ronald Acuna Jr. grand slam in the second inning of that game against the Braves. But then he went ahead and finished the game and pitched. He pitched at least six innings, dude. If not, it was seven innings. I'm about to tell you right now. So, bum, 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 bum. Saturday. Brewers. Um, you know what? I can't really tell what game it was, but that game Walker Bueller gave up the the grand slam to Ronald Acuna. He gave up five early runs that game, and Dave Roberts still had the confidence to pitch the kid 
this Vanderbilt kid who got a 30 on his ACT, who's unbelievably smart, has an unwavering confidence about him, and throws high 90s heat. Dave still had the confidence to leave the kid on the mound and let him go, I believe, seven innings that game. And that just speaks to, one, who Walker Bueller actually is. So you got, you've got this young pitcher who's extremely comfortable and confident when things are going well, but when things aren't going well. And about an hour before last night's Dodgers game, when the Dodgers clinched it, I told myself, I said, I want the Dodgers to win because to me, the best storyline, if I've got to pick the two teams that would be in the World Series, would be the Dodgers and the Red Sox because I want to see Walker Buehler pitch on that big stage because up until this point, his numbers aren't great. But when you really dig in and look at exactly what he's doing from game to game for his team, continuing to pitch quality pitches, and eat up innings where most pitchers would have already been pulled because they would crumble under the pressure. Walker Buehler is not crumbling under the pressure. And his mound presence, I, I, I truly believe that it's Mark Burley-esque. And he's just, he can get on that mound and he'll give you what he's got. If things aren't going good, he, he doesn't shake, right? The, the kid's unshakable on the mound. And then on the opposing side, when I look at the Boston Red Sox, I love what Nathan Nivaldi's doing, right? So, Nathan Avaldi in the game clincher where the Red Sox beat the Astros to go to the World Series. Avaldi came in in relief and was painting corners to Alex Bregman at 102 miles an hour just about two days after Bregman taunted Nathan Avaldi by uploading an Instagram video that showed the Red that showed the Houston Astros hitting three home runs in a row when Nathan Avaldi was still with Tampa Bay earlier this season and. You've also, with Nathan Navaldi, it's like this low-key pickup to where he was available on the trade market. The Red Sox didn't have to give up a lot to get him. And to me, when I saw that move, I thought it had the potential to be a Justin Verlander-like move to where there wasn't a lot of demand for the guy because maybe he had had three arm surgeries because when Verlander was on the trade market last season— there wasn't a lot of demand for him. I don't I don't believe that there were a lot of teams pushing for Verlander that should have been because they were afraid of the money and afraid of his age. But the, the Houston Astros went all in on him. And I kind of look at that to where Evaldi's like a mini Justin Verlander signing because there weren't a lot of teams out there that were really gunning for the guy. But the Red Sox could kind of see beyond you know, the three arm surgeries that Nathan Evaldi's had. And it's amazing that he's had so many. He's a, I think... Nathan Evaldi's had Tommy John twice and then like a third surgery somewhere in there. He's basically like the operation game that you played when you were a kid. Like that's Nathan Evaldi in real life, but he still throws 102 miles an hour. And that is a low key pickup. And that's, those are definitely two of the reasons why I love this matchup because you've got these storied franchises, these huge franchises who have never, ever met in a world series before. And then aside from the big pitching stars, you have these secondary pitching stars who are pitching excellent, who get the chance to go on this big stage. And we're going to watch these human beings get pushed beyond their levels. And to me, that's one of the most beautiful things in sports is to see ordinary people who wake up and pee and poop in the morning do these superhuman things. And right now, that's what we're seeing Nathan Avaldi do, throw 102 miles an hour after three arm surgeries, and this young Walker Bueller, who is wise beyond his years, throwing high 90s, 
not walking guys, giving up grand slams, and still continuing to pitch five more innings. Imagine that for a second. Being a 23-year-old in the playoffs, playing for a big market team in the Los Angeles Dodgers who have not won a World Series in 30 years, and somehow being that young but also that mindful and that great in a situation to say, hey, I'm two innings into this game. I just gave up a grand slam, but I'm going to continue to pitch four or five more innings. That takes guts, and he's doing it. And that's why I think pitching is a huge storyline, and we're seeing two great pitching staffs on each side of this thing, right? But also, to me, the personalities in this whole thing are huge, right? To Okay, <laughs> Yasiel Puig gets one of the worst raps in all of baseball people don't like him they say that he's you know detrimental to the clubhouse he's he's got a negative attitude so when he's not flipping his bat on a home run he's breaking his bat over his knee you know and one set one play you'll watch Yasiel Puig launch launch a cannon from right field and really thread the needle to third base and then the next play he's airmailing every cutoff person and throwing it into the dugout. It's like you never know what you're going to get with the, the guy, but you can't deny. To me, if you ask me what, right now, do I want Puig on my team or not? The answer is unequivocally yes, because you can't deny how he plays. Sorry, I had some interference. But how Yasiel Puig plays, you can't deny his energy in the clubhouse, his energy on the field, and how it benefits his team. Yasiel Puig does not hinder his team, right? He does not hurt his team with any sort of negative attitude. Because if if that's my team, you ask me this, would I have a guy who's kind of just docile, who strikes out, walks back to the dugout, plays the game right, and all of that crap? I couldn't give two craps about that, and personally, I don't want it. And my favorite team is the Cubs. And one of the things that irks me most is sometimes when I watch the Chicago Cubs, I don't see the fire in those guys' eyes, right? Sometimes I wish Chris Bryant would break a bat over his leg. I wish Anthony Rizzo would bat flip. Like, I wish things would happen like that, but it doesn't happen like that. But when I look at guys like Yasiel Puig and Bryce Harper who charge the mound and break their bats over their knee and go at it with Madison Bumgarner when he's pitching him inside, that I love. And to me, when Yasiel Puig, sometimes he's off, sometimes he's on. But since Puig is such this like demonstrative, like outspoken guy, when he's off, we all point the finger and say, he doesn't play the game the right way. He's flipping his bats and now he's breaking the bat over his knee, and he's bad for the clubhouse. Well, guess what? Would it be better if he just shut up and didn't say anything when he did bad? Because every Major League Baseball player goes through ups and downs, right? Christian Yelich batted like 200 during the NLCS, but we're not talking about that. But if Yasiel Puig batted 200, broke a couple bats over his leg, and airmailed the second baseman trying to gun someone out at third because, you know, shoot or shoot, and that's what Puig's going to do because he's got an arm that can do it. Right? It's like when a guy has personality and attitude and then he messes up, we want to point the finger at him and say, dude, you suck. Like, clean it up, man. Like, you're overpaid and overrated and, like, get you off of this team. But with me, man, I'm all like, let it happen, dude. And if he's bad, I'd prefer him to be pissed off because as a fan, I know he cares, right? 
And when I, I'm a fan of Puig because when he strikes out, he's pissed and breaks his bat over his leg. And damn it, man, I'm mad too because my favorite team, they don't do crap like that. And one of the reasons why I love Puig in this World Series, my friends, is because right now Puig is on. He hit the three-run three home run last night that propelled the Dodgers to that victory last night. And this Los Angeles Dodgers team, when Yasiel Puig is on, the team is completely different, man, because he injects straight adrenaline into the whole club. And his post-game interview where he guaranteed the World Series victory, and he was, like, pouring beer on the announcer, dude. He had, like, no shirt and gold chains on. Like, baseball needs more of that, man. And Puig gives it to you, and I'm so pumped that Puig is on this big stage, man, because he deserves it. It's great for baseball, dude, and I love it, man. We need more players like Yasiel Puig. But also, like on the Red Sox side, man, like you've got Mookie and Chris Sale. Like those guys have personalities, man. Like Mookie plays the game, dude, with such like enthusiasm and vigor, and he's so athletic, dude. Like if you saw the catch where he almost robbed Jose Altuve's home run, but it was for fan interference. He got so high off the ground. I think Mookie Betts is 5'9". It was a seven-foot wall, and I swear to God, the top of Mookie Betts' glove was like three feet over the wall. There's no doubt he could probably dunk a basketball and stick half his arm in it to the elbow like Vince Carter at the dunk contest. It's unbelievable what he can do. And on top of that, Mookie Betts can bowl Mookie Betts can bowl a 300 game, which is bonkers, dude. And honestly, like I love the whole Boston Red Sox outfield. People say this is the best defensive outfield that we've ever seen in the history of baseball. And you can't deny what Mookie and what Jackie Bradley Jr. can do and then Andrew Benatendi's catch in left field. Dude, that lit a fire under this Boston Red Sox team. And as soon as that catch happened, and Boston went up three games to one, you knew there was no way, even with Verlander on the mound, that the Houston Astros were going to win game five because that was the ultimate. Like, Andrew Benatendi's catch in left field to end the game when the bases were loaded and Alex Bregman hit a first pitch off Craig Kimbrell and lined that sucker hard. Dude, if that ball gets by Andrew Benatendi, it's likely to be an inside-the-park walk-off grand slam which has undoubtedly never happened in postseason. And that would have taken this series from three games to one to two games to two. And there's no telling what would happen, dude. But the guts that Ben Attendee had to do that, like that is the ultimate Nick Papa Giorgio in a Las Vegas casino on like hour 12 and just putting all your money on black at that um, little uh, craps table or whatever that thing is that spins around. You know what I'm saying? Like he was all in. And that, dude, my friends, is what this Boston Red Sox team has done because Alex Cora has managed in a we're all in mentality. There's so many things Cora did, and he is, listen, Major League Baseball managers, I think, have taken a backseat to upper management data to where the information is relayed to the managers, and they kind of just press the buttons. But, dude, it's not that with Alex Cora, man. Alex Cora is the most aggressive manager in baseball, and he's a true difference maker. The game where he started Brock Holt over whoever plays second base normally for the Boston Red Sox because Brock Holt was not an everyday player, that game Brock Holt, he started Brock Holt. Alex Cora did. And it was kind of questionable, like, dude, he's not even, like, an everyday player. But Cora, like was aggressive, went with his gut, did what he had to do, and Brock Holt hit for a cycle, which I think was the first ever cycle in postseason history. And then all of these times where 
right? Alex Cora used three different starters out of the bullpen in this American League Championship Series. And I'm not talking like three or four starters. I'm talking like your number one starter in Chris Sale, your number two starter in David Price, your number three starter in Rick Porcello. And then was using Nathan Navaldi and letting him throw 102 in game five. This is nuts because, right, so the... David Price won that game clincher on short rest. The night before, he was in the bullpen warming up because Alex Cora is like, we're going to do this, man. And the re- one of the huge reasons, I think, why David Price was able to win, to- why David Price was able to win the game clincher and do what he did in this series is because the unwavering confidence that Alex Cora has in David Price, and that's what Alex Cora has done with all of these players in this Boston Red Sox clubhouse— and his aggressive managing has done something to these players to where you've got starters, top-tier starters on the Red Sox coming out of the bullpen because Core is doing what he's got to do to win, and the players have completely bought into it. So not only was David Price on short rest in Game 5, he was in the bullpen the game before, and the announcers were saying, well, now that Price is in the bullpen, this probably rules him out for Game 5. Nuh-uh, pal. David Price is pitching in Game 5, man, because that's the crap that Alex Cora does. And because Alex Cora has that mindset in the dugout is the exact reason why Andrew Benatendi went for that catch. Because common sense and data will tell you, let the ball drop because of the lead you have and get the next guy out. But when they asked Ben Attendee post-game, hey, man, why did you go after that ball? Because it probably wasn't the smart play. Like, data in today's today's like Major League Baseball game will tell you, don't steal bases and don't make the risky catch. Don't make the risky steal. Don't stretch a double into a third or a single into a double because you're going to get thrown out. So they asked Ben Attendee post-game. They said, Andrew, man, why, do, why were you so aggressive on the ball? To which he responds, I don't know. I thought I could catch it. And I loved it, man, because it's that one quote that sums up this whole Boston Red Sox team. Would you ask, if you were to ask Cora, like, why do you do that? Or ask any of the other players, why did you swing at that? Their thing is like, I don't know, man. I just thought I could do it. And it's the reason why Alex Cora is the best manager in all of baseball because he'll look at the data, but the dude's got a gut on him. And I'm not talking to CeCe Sabathia gut. I'm talking just like pure baseball instincts. And, dude, he's not afraid to be aggressive. And we saw that with Craig Council as well with the Milwaukee Brewers, which I loved. But, dude, it would have been almost impossible for the Brewers to beat the Dodgers because the Dodgers just have firepower, man. Kenley Jansen, who's the best closer in baseball, watch him pitch. And he'll strike a guy out on 94, and the guy swings so hard through 94, it looks like 100. Literally, Kenley Jansen makes 94 look like an Aroldis Chapman 104. I don't know how he does it. It's the movement, or it's his windup, which it probably has some deception in it, which is another huge matchup I like because Craig Kimbrell has not had a great postseason. But over the past two to three seasons, it's a safe bet to say that Craig Kimbrell and Kenley Jansen have been the best closers in all of baseball. And I don't really think that's a debate. You can throw in other guys like Wade Davis or Aroldis Chapman or any of that stuff. Aroldis Chapman's for sure in that category, but nobody else really is. But Aroldis aside, dude, Kimbrell and Kenley Jansen could be more pumped to see the two best closers in all of baseball on a big stage because, dude, at postseason baseball, man, some of the best stuff is watching 
the ninth inning of any game and putting the top dog closer in there. A guy that you know. We've seen Kimbrell's track record, and we've seen Kenley Jansen's track record. And to watch these guys duel it out in the top and the bottom of the ninth, like Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday and Tombstone, is some of the best stuff you could ever watch. So you've got to tune into every game of this World Series because of the closers, because of the starters, and because of the personalities on this team. It's just unbelievable, right? Now, right now, we're going to look at this and say, who's got the advantage, right? So that's a big question. I've been asked that question like 100 times. Who has the advantage in this World Series? Because you've got teams that got here in two very different ways. The Boston Red Sox dominated all of baseball from the get-go, right? They've worked hard, and nobody's really put up a fight, and they've just dominated everybody. Then you have the Los Angeles Dodgers, who at one point this season were 10 games under 500. In September, they were fighting for a wild card spot. And there were a lot of questions whether this team had what it took. They were very much underperforming. At one point, I picked the Arizona Diamondbacks to win the division because I thought their starters would dominate. And I was obviously wrong, just like I am with every prediction that I make. Um, But the Red Sox, you know, had to play seven games in the NLCS. They had to play a tiebreaker game just to win their division. So... The, the Definitely the Los Angeles Dodgers have had to fight more to get to where they want. And that's not to take anything away from the Boston Red Sox. But the Boston Red Sox have really just beat the crap out of everyone that they've played. But during this one baseball season, the Los Angeles Dodgers have had the crap kicked out of them. Like Rocky Balboa and Ivan Drago. And then somehow midway through the boxing match had to come back, beat the big Russian, and and win the match, man, right? So the Los Angeles Dodgers are a bloody Rocky in Russia to where the um, the Boston Red Sox are like Conor McGregor knocking out Jose Aldo in 14 seconds, right? That's what it is. Like, both parties work hard, but the drive to get here was a little bit different on both sides, right? So you can look at this and say, well, the advantage might go to the Los Angeles Dodgers because they're in more of a rhythm. They've had the crap kicked out of them and had to come back. They haven't had any sort of break because they didn't beat their opponents in five games, and they had to play a game 163 tiebreaker, so they're on, man. And they really had to grind, and you can for sure make a case that a team that's had a lot of bad crap happen to them since they've been through so much that, you know, that makes them stronger as a team because they've been through so much. So when stuff gets a little rough hey, they'll come back and they can still play when the pressure's on and they can play when things look bad, right? They can be Rocky getting knocked out by Ivan Drago and come back because they've been through it before because someone could make the case and say, well, the Red Sox really maybe haven't been pressed that hard and they obviously dominated the whole American League. But when you're playing a National League team, For seven games, a team that you don't see as often because they're in the other league, that can make a huge difference. But then to flip the script on that, you look at the Boston Red Sox and say, dude, you don't win 108 games by accident. And they slaughtered everyone they met. And why would I ever sit here and say that the Los Angeles Dodgers are any different than all the other teams that the Boston Red Sox have obliterated, right? I'll say this, man. My personal opinion is that the teams, the team that has the grind the most, that goes through the most, 
I think that they have the advantage. That doesn't mean that the Boston Red Sox are going to lose this thing, but I really like the fact that the Los Angeles Dodgers have had to go through so much crap with injuries, with having to fight for their division in a game 163, and things just not going that good. Dude, I think that benefits a team, man. Uh, you know, when you look at like the 2016 Cubs, things went really crappy in that series when they were down three games to one. And they had to come back and fight. You know, they got the crap kicked out of them. Kind of like the Boston Red Sox in 2004 in the ALCS against the Yankees. They were down three games to nothing, man. You know, you, if you kick them enough, they're going to get back up and get pissed. And when you've got those teams that have had to grind and scrap for it, dude, they are fired up, man. And especially there's a huge advantage because the Los Angeles Dodgers went to the World Series last year. This exact club knows what it's like to lose. They lost in a heartbreaking Game 7 to the Houston Astros, and they know what it's like to have that victory and have that ring in your grasp and let it slip. So if I'm looking at exactly what each team has been through and the different road they've taken, I'll give the advantage to the Los Angeles Dodgers just for that grind it out. I got my ass kicked by Ivan Drago, and I'm going to come back, and I love it, man. And that, again, is one of the reasons why this is the best storyline and the best matchup we could have been given for this World Series because of the different roads that each of these teams have had to go on. All right, last section of this whole thing. My picks to click, man. Who has got to get hot on each team for them to succeed? And I approach this with, you know, like I didn't pick like the Justin Turners or the Mookie Betts or the J.D. Martinez or the Manny Machados in this mix. I want to know with each team who's a support player that we're going to look at who's really going to strive and succeed. So if I look at the Los Angeles Dodgers, if I've got to pick two players that aren't their best players but – if they play good, the other team's in trouble. Listen, if Jock Peterson and Yasiel Puig stay hitting how they're hitting, Boston's in trouble, man. Jock Peterson is a prolific leadoff hitter who set a Los Angeles Dodgers franchise record for most leadoff home runs in the season. And then Yasiel Puig, man, the fire that he plays with, break a bat, flip a bat, keep that crap coming, man, because if he's hot, the Red Sox are in trouble. But then if I flip that script... And I look at the Red Sox and say, dude, what do the Red Sox do and what players can play that aren't their, you know, main top dogs that would put the Los Angeles Dodgers in trouble? One, that's going to be Rafael Devers. Eduardo Nunez isn't playing third. He's hurt. And since Rafael Devers has been playing, he's hit at least one key home run because he hit that home run off Justin Verlander in the clincher. And then I'm wanting to say the game before that had a multi-run driving double, which was huge. And this young kid, dude, he's had his struggles on defense. He's had his struggles on offense. But ever since he hit that 105-mile-an-hour fastball for a home run off of Roldis Chapman last season, you knew that something was there with the kid, man. Something deep down like Gohan off Dragon Ball Z to where if you can wake that crap up, Something is there, man. Endeavors is my guy on offense, as well as Mitch Moreland and Steve Pierce, which are the one-two first base combo for the Boston Red Sox. Steve Pierce 
and Mitch Moreland have been huge pickups. They have not let this team down offensively. They can both play gold glove caliber defense at first base. The guys can do the splits and stretch so far. They look like they took ballet classes or gymnastics. It's unreal what they can do at first base. And then... Last but not least, the most exciting pitchers that I can't wait to watch are Walker Bueller and David Price, man. It's all about Walker Bueller's mound presence. Um, being this young, like, 23-year-old kid from Vandy, man, he's already had Tommy John. He's had shaky starts in the postseason but can still give you quality innings. And it's like this guy on this big stage can get rocked, but his confidence and his will and his game plan, they're unshakable, man. You cannot shake Walker Buehler because I believe that Clayton Kershaw is going to give you good innings, man. I really do. And if Clayton Kershaw's got Walker Buehler coming in and that number two spot to pitch, the Red Sox are in trouble, man, because you can beat the crap out of Buehler and you're not going to shake his game plan. But then likewise, if I flip the script on that and look at the Red Sox, all of my eyes are on David Price, man. This guy is a different postseason pitcher under Alex Cora. The fact that he pitched two games in the ALCS, he got the victory in the game clincher, and his team won both the games where he took the mound. It's huge because the culture that Alex Cora has created in the clubhouse has done wonders for David Price. He's your guy to watch out for, man. Those are the two pitchers I'm most excited to watch. Other than that, let's end this thing, dudes. We're at 32 minutes, man. Thank you so much for listening. Our next episode will probably be up tomorrow. Well, I'm going to have a couple guests. We're going to talk more World Series preview, but other than that, preview. Other than that, uh, we're going to talk more World Series preview then. But, uh, dude, thank you so much for listening. You guys have a phenomenal day. And uh, let's get ready for baseball on Tuesday. Take care, guys. Take care, guys.